Today on Focal Point, Pastor Mike Fabares talks about the challenges of discipleship. You see sinful actions in professing Christians' lives, you need to say, that's wrong. A rebuke is, is a clear statement of you are doing something that is not in keeping with what you're saying you are. You are doing something that is opposite of your pr profession. There's a campaign slogan in crime prevention that goes like this, see something, say something. It means you shouldn't sit quietly by while red flags are flying and hope for the best. But too often Christians see the signs of sin and simply look the other way. Well, today on Focal Point, Pastor Mike Fabares says our response to sin, especially in professing Christians, should be a clear rebuke. I'm Dave Drury. We're in Acts 8 when Peter rebukes Simon the Magician. And now here's Pastor Mike with the challenges of discipleship. I want to tell new converts to Christ, people that profess faith, I want to say this, you should expect ongoing temptations after you become a Christian. There are going to be trials and temptations, in particular tests of your faith. Number one, fully expect ongoing temptations. And this you can put in quotes as coming out of your mouth to people that have come to faith in Christ. There's going to be trials that are going to, to put it in the words of 1 Peter chapter 1, test the genuineness of your faith. We're going to find out if it's real or not. And we need to anticipate that. We need to tell people that. Matter of fact, turn with me, if you would, to the Gospel of Luke. This is an important place to go. These are the words of Christ about this very, very matter we're talking about. Bottom of verse 13. This is Luke chapter 8, verse 13. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, last seven words. And in time of testing, guess what it's translated elsewhere in scripture? About half the time this Greek word appears, it's translated temptation. In a time of temptation, the genuineness of your faith is going to be revealed. Well, in this case, it says in a time of testing, they fall away. There are some people that failed the test. Now let's get the context. This is about the four soils. You throw the gospel out and you got four different soils. Throwing the gospel out is the word of God. The seed is the word of God. And the ones along the path are those who heard then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. It's like I've had many conversations like that with non-Christians, right? They don't want to hear it, okay? That's soil number one. Verse 13. The ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy. But these have no root, right? They, they don't have a foundation. They don't, they don't rightly understand even what they're talking about. They believe, they have that belief, just like Simon the magician had, walking around, following Philip, listening to his evangelism. Who knows, maybe he participated in evangelism. They believe for a while, but here it comes, in a time of testing, they fall away. They show not interested, which if the historical post-canonical records are right, it's exactly what Simon did. He went and developed his own version of Christianity. That's soil number two, soil number three. As for those that fell among the thorns, they are those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasure of life, and their fruit does not mature. They're not bearing fruit. They don't have real faith that produces lifelong works that show the, the, the proof of my repentance. They just, they're done. It's, it's the same concept of the time of testing, only this one is, is, is a slower thing. As the parallel texts say, as 
this is kind of expanded in longer descriptions, like in the book of Matthew, it, it says, when persecution arises because of the word, they fall away. The idea is it's either immediate, like it was in Simon's case, or maybe it's this, ah, just slowly they're done. But as for the good soil, soil number four, they are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart. They're all sincere. They don't have mixed motives here. And they bear fruit with patience. See that word? Right? They keep going. It continues on. They don't stop. That idea is so important for us to catch because when you have a positive response to the gospel, most of you think, a lot of us think, don't want to condemn you in this because perhaps it's not the way you think, is I either have the people that reject the message or people that recept, accept the message, and if they accept the message and respond, hey, great, I got non-Christians, I got Christians. Well, within that batch of people that you might be quick to give assurance about their salvation, in that, Jesus makes it clear, and he could have done this with three soils. He did it with four soils, I think, just to remind us. A lot of people profess faith. And in time, the testing comes, they prove that their faith was not real. I don't think there's a time I've shared the gospel where I haven't added something almost to that verbiage. That's how I say it. Your positive response is, it's going to be tested. And in that testing, as Jesus warned, we will see whether it's genuine or whether it's not. That's hard when we're working and rushing toward just make a commitment of faith. Just profess your your faith in Christ. Back to our text here, Acts chapter 8. Peter sees what's going on, and he says, I've got a problem. Take a look at what he says. I mean, I kind of made fun of it earlier, but here, here, may your silver perish with you. No, hard no, because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. You've neither part nor lot in this matter. Your heart is not right before God. That may take courage, but it doesn't take a ton of insight. (laughs) That may take courage, but it doesn't take a lot of insight. And some of us lack courage, but we have the insight because you see things that are completely incongruent with a profession of faith. I had a great conversation just a little while ago with, here's someone that is trying to lead someone to faith in Christ. There's professions of faith, and now it's like, "Ah, I'm not even interested in going to church. And the response, they're even good at at, at having their defense. Well, you know, I don't have to be be going to church to be a Christian. That was one of the many things in the menu of descriptives of a person that is claiming faith in Christ and going, yeah, I'm a follower of Christ. I just don't want to follow those things that Christ said. That doesn't take a lot of insight to say something's wrong with your profession of faith. Perhaps if you're a real Christian here today, you know that because you look back at your life and maybe you've had, like I have, those professions of faith early on and the time of testing comes. And while it's not, you know, I wasn't growing pot or, you know, a drug addict or in a gang killing people in Santa Ana, but I know that in the time of testing, I failed because what I did was continued on my path doing what I want, hoping to have Christ come alongside and and just affirm everything I want. Just like Simon, I want God here to come alongside and give me the continued celebrity that I had before. And that was the kind of thing that made perfect sense to him as a non-Christian claiming to be a Christian. And it's so important that we have that time of reflection. And if we see something incongruent and we say, no, that's completely opposite, then we're willing to call that out. You know what calling that out is? The word for that in the Bible is called rebuking them. Would you say this is a rebuke from Peter? Yeah, oh oh yeah. To hell with you and your money is a rebuke, right? That's a rebuke. And he rebukes him hard in this passage, okay? I just want you to be bold enough to give a clear rebuke 
when you see things that are incongruent with the profession of faith. Number two, put it this way. You need to clearly rebuke sinful actions. You see sinful actions in professing Christians' lives, you need to say, that's wrong. A rebuke is, is a clear statement of you are doing something that is not in keeping with what you're saying you are. You are doing something that is opposite of your pr profession. Matter of fact, go with me to Titus. Titus is a good example of a guy trying to build a church in a tough environment. And again, I'll get some context here in a minute, but can you drop down to a, a great line here in verse 16, then we'll get the context? Talking about people who says, in, this is Titus 1, it says, they profess to know God, but they deny him by their works. When you see that, you need to point it out. You need to point it out. Well, I'm not a preacher. Don't have to be a preacher. I'm not an apostle. You don't have to be an apostle. I have no position of leadership in this church at all, Pastor Mike. It doesn't matter. Here's an old line. It sounds so good when we think about it in wholesome context that I think are palatable. Iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. That's, that fails good. Men's ministry verse, right? Until it means, okay, sharpening means there's stuff that needs to be filed off of your life right here. And when you claim to know God, but your deeds are absolutely incongruent with that, you deny him by the things that you're doing. Hey, don't tell me you're a Christian and you're not doing what Christ said. Something as simple as that we should be a part of a band, a community of brothers in a church that we're under the leadership of the people that you've gifted to lead in the church, that you have a church family, that you have a pastor, that you are in a functioning church, being a good steward of the grace of God within you, functioning in a ministry post, that you're going to church, not forsaking the assembling of yourself. Don't tell me you're a follower of Christ, but you don't follow Christ. That's a problem. And Peter was willing to say it in some dramatic terms. And I'm saying maybe, maybe the words are not the ones you want to echo here. I don't know that for sure we can't say, oh, there is a layer of, of kind of the John the Baptist prophetic and, and the Peter apostle kind of being very strong. But again, I don't think most of us even want to point it out. Who am I to judge them? Judge not. I mean, all this stuff that we say in our hearts, like, I don't want to be the Holy Spirit in their life. All these things that keep us from doing the very thing that we should be called to do when we see something that is incompatible with your profession of faith. So I want to warn them, your faith is going to be tested. When I see someone failing the test, I got to be gutsy enough to say something. And maybe it'll help at least the power differential between an apostle and some new convert in Samaria, even though he's a celebrity, which I tried to say as I read it, sure is a turnaround of a Galilean fisherman and the big celebrity in Samaria, like we saw Peter, the fisherman before the Supreme Court, the Sanhedrin. I mean, it's amazing the power and boldness and courage of, of Peter. Nevertheless, that differential of in the body of Christ, Peter, you're the senior preaching pastor of a megachurch in Jerusalem. And you got a brand new convert. Of course you should call him out when you see that he's professing God, but he's denying God by his actions. Maybe that power differential would help you at least to see that this stuff can happen in our lives, even outside of our families, which I guess the first thing I would say is in your families, you ought to have this going on. But let's say you were called into ministry here in the church and the youth pastor says to you, I'd like you to be a small group leader in our high school ministry. So you go, you be part of the high school ministry and you've got in your group here, your job is to help them apply the, the, the messages that the high school pastor is preaching. And so you got these high school students and you are, are there and you now see something completely incongruent with someone who says, I'm a Christian. 
They profess faith in Christ. And let's just say he's a big middle linebacker on the local football team. And before he was a Christian man, that's just his identity. And he just, you know, he'd throw little nerds into their lockers and he was the bully on campus and he's huge and big and muscles always in the weight room. And that's the guy who now says, I'm a follower of Christ. And you say, great. It's all about now Christ being your Lord. It's about you living out this faith in your campus. It's about you showing the repentance by your deeds. And he says, you know what? You called for that Bible study on our campus. I'm so for it. I want everyone there. So what I'm doing is I'm telling people, you better be there. I'm going to beat your face in. I've even beat up three people this week who told me they weren't going to come to the Bible study. You're the small group leader. Do you sit there and go, oh, not the way I would get someone to this Bible study. I just think maybe the campus lunch, you could just maybe invite them. I don't know. I don't want to be the Holy Spirit in your life. I think you're going to say, wait a minute. Your old life and the way you functioned, you now live under a different set of rules. You're not going to be a bully now for Christ. Right? Just like you're not going to be this celebrity here using your money to try and buy your way into the spotlight so you can be the, the megachurch pastor. That's not how this works. You would rebuke that guy, that 17-year-old middle linebacker who thinks he's a big shot on campus. You would rebuke him for using those same things, that same value system, and trying to use it for God. You'd say, no, it's wrong. And you'd call him out. I mean, that would be your role. You would see that as a 30-year-old guy dealing with 17-year-old boys. You'd be like, you need, you need to follow Christ. If, if, if the pastor preached in the high school ministry about obeying your parents, even as a post-adolescent football player, and you had him say, well, I don't obey my parents. I don't want to obey my parents. are idiots. You'd say, okay, you are now professing faith in Christ, but your actions and your words and your influence, it's denying it. You'd call them out. And I'm just saying, you got to get to that place, even with your brothers and sisters in Christ that you sit across from in a small group. And it may be that it's done privately and carefully. It's done with words that are diplomatic, but it's done. Do you think the power differential between Nathan and David was Nathan was a big shot and David was this little guy? David was the king. He was known as a warrior. But when there was an incongruity between his profession of faith and his life, and Nathan finds out about it, and he says, man, this is a problem, Nathan is willing to go in and say, David, you're the man. You're the guy. You're the sinner. You are now in big trouble with God. You're living a life that is inconsistent with your profession. Nathan was willing to do that in the Old Testament. We've got to be willing to do that, regardless of where you are in the power structure as you see yourself in the church. You got to do it because God says to people like the Corinthian church who said, I don't want to do that. I'm sure it was a lot like the modern church. Ah, I don't want to be the Holy Spirit. With I don't want to be the guy narking people. I don't want to judge anybody. That was such the pervasive perspective that there were people involved in an incestuous sexual relationship in the church that no one wanted to confront. And Paul is livid with this. He says, you guys should have put that person out of the church, but you don't want to confront him. And then later in the book, he says this, it's like you guys are willing to have a little bit of leaven in this lump, like it's not a big deal. You know, a little leaven leavens the whole lump. Why does God want a pure church? Why does God want you to make sure that your brothers and sisters in Christ are being faithful to their profession of faith? Because he knows that all you have to do is read Revelation chapters two and three about how he views the church. A little bit of compromise in the corner of the church that goes unconfronted and undealt with. It just becomes this, this massive thing that affects the entirety of the church that God then says, well, we can't go any further. Just like in the Old Testament. The narratives of the Old Testament play this out. In Ai, 
One guy who put all this stuff under the, the carpet in his tent because he went into Jericho and took stuff God said not to take. God says, well, you, I'm not gonna, we're not going to move forward with this congregation until we deal with this problem. You need to clearly rebuke sinful actions. And I know you don't think that is your job. But every time you read the Bible, I hope you realize, as it says in 1 Timothy chapter 3, that this God-breathed document that you're studying every day and memorizing verses out of, it is useful for teaching, for correction, and for training in righteousness. That has to happen, not just for yourself every morning as you stare into the Word of God to see how your life ought to be altered. It's got to happen in other people's lives. Look at the context of the passage I still have you in here, right? Titus chapter 1. That's why you study the Bible, verse number nine. I know this is about church leadership here, but we try to hold firm to the trustworthy word as it's taught. This is Titus 1.9. One of the reasons, at least part of your life, it has to be as a ministry to other people's lives so that you may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine like that. Maybe I should partner someone, take them through discipleship, but also to rebuke those who contradict it. Well, I don't want to start rebuking people. What if they are really Christians? Well, in a context with a lot of external pressures of compromise in the culture. Look at verse 12. He says, you know, the Cretan prophets have said, Cretans are always liars and evil beasts and gluttons. That was the island he was on, the island of Crete. He says, this testimony is true. Therefore, rebuke them sharply. Make it clear, make it, make it firm. That they may be sound in the faith. I want real Christians, when they're tested with compromise, I want them to pass the test. So if they're doing the wrong thing, I want to rebuke them. I want them to be sound. I, I don't want them devoting themselves to Jewish myths that have actually crept into the church and the commands of people who turn away from the truth. No, I want it to be pure. To the pure, all things are pure. Well, a lot of times when you rebuke someone who's doing something that is incongruent with their Christian life, they are Christians and you're just helping them be sanctified. And sometimes they're non-Christians. Look at verse 10. There are many who are insubordinate, empty talkers, deceivers, especially those of the circumcision party. There was a band within the church in Crete, just like it was all over the early church, that said you've got to adhere to the Old Testament ceremonial laws, and therefore they were perverting the gospel, as the book of Galatians says, and it was a big doctrinal heresy. They weren't saved. And what do you do with them? Will you rebuke them? They must be silenced, since they are upsetting whole families by teaching for shameful gain what they ought not to teach. Drop down to verse 15. We stopped with the pure, all things are pure. But to the defiled and unbelieving, nothing's pure. They keep perverting everything. They fail the test left and right, but both their minds and their consciences are defiled. You are not right with God. Simon Peter said to Simon the magician, they profess to know God, but they deny him by their works. They are, in this case, detestable, disobedient, unfit for any good work. I don't know. Sometimes when I'm saying to someone, who I should care about, your life right now is inconsistent with your profession. I don't know if I'm talking to a Christian or a non-Christian. I need them to figure that out for sure, and sometimes I have insight to see. But I do it, just whether I'm dealing with someone who needs to be sound in the faith because they need to get over this temptation, or whether I'm dealing with someone who's failing the test because they're proving they're not Christians. Either way, they gotta be silenced, they've gotta be confronted, they have to be sharply rebuked. Yeah, well, this is, I know the Bible, and this is a pastoral epistle, so at least jot this down. Romans chapter 15, verse 14. The word nuthateo, which can be translated as confronting someone that they're doing the wrong thing with the right thing. Nuthateo, it's such a big word to, to confront them, to, to address the wrong. Paul says to the rank and file pew sitters within the church of Rome, 
Don't have to be an apostle. Don't have to be a preacher. Don't even have to have a position of leadership. He says, I know, I'm satisfied, brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness and filled with knowledge and able to, here's the word, nutheteo one another. You can confront them. Matter of fact, it's often translated to warn them. And that's what we're doing. You're, gonna, you're in the bond of iniquity, man. You are not right with God. You're able to instruct one another, to warn one another. And he says, I know in some points I've written you very boldly by way of reminder. I continue to be bold. We need the boldness to clearly rebuke sinful actions. There's so much more that can be said on that, but we're running out of time, so go back to our text in Acts chapter 8 and notice he doesn't just diagnose the problem, because that is a frustration when someone says, well, here's the problem with your car, but they have no way to fix it. The fix is simple. One word. Seems like the answer for everything in the New Testament. Well, it is. It's the answer for everything in the Bible. Sinful people need to repent. Verse 22, repent. Matter of fact, let's just write it down. After that one word, it's enough to get our third point. Sincerely call for repentance. Number three, call for repentance. Say, you need to turn around. This has to stop, Simon. You cannot do this. You cannot just continue with your selfish ambition and trying to use your bank account to get up in this church. You now want to be a big fish in the small pond of Christianity. That's not how this works. I want you to quickly underline or note the elements of this, of this remedy, this call for repent. Repent, there's our word. Therefore, and here's the definition of this wickedness of yours. You could have used a lot of words here. Of this boo-boo, of this mistake, of you not doing it quite right. It's a big, strong word, your wickedness. And pray to the Lord. I like that. Clearly not Catholic theology here for the first pope, according to the Romans. Not pray to me, not Father, I have sinned, forgive me. This is, you need to talk to God. I just love that redirect. You got to deal with this before God. And I said this was interesting. If possible, if possible, the intent of your heart may be forgiven you. That's an interesting way to put it. But it seems like I don't want any presumption on the grace of God here. You need to go with a kind of contrition that a real penitent person has saying, God, if you would, forgive me. Because he's the violated party. Verse 23, for I see that you're in the gall of bitterness. You got something internal that is antithetical to a real heart of conversion and in the bond of iniquity. It's like you're a slave of sin. And Simon answered, pray for me to the Lord that nothing of what you've said may come upon me. A great reminder that each of us has an important role to play in disciplining and encouraging our fellow believers to stay on the path to life. Glad you could join us here today for a message all about the challenges of discipleship. You're listening to Focal Point with pastor and Bible teacher Mike Fabares. And you can listen to the full-length version of this message when you visit our website, focalpointradio.org. And if you're looking for someone to come alongside you, or perhaps you want to encourage a fellow Christ follower as they face challenges to their faith, then while you're online, check out Focal Point's Partners One-on-One -on -one Discipleship Program. It's a toolkit program available online or in print and in several languages that can be used as a ministry in your church for small groups or for two Christians who want to spur one another on in their walk with God. And it's designed to get you personally connected on a weekly basis with a mature and growing Christian to help you advance in your understanding and application of 10 biblical themes that are critically important in the Christian life. And there are free training videos to go along with each lesson. To get more information or to order the Partners One-on-One -on -one Discipleship Program, go to focalpointradio.org and scroll down to the link under Biblical Resources. You'll find everything you need to get started at focalpointradio.org. 
And remember that Focal Point Ministries exists to reach, teach, and train followers of Christ. To accomplish this goal, we rely on listeners just like you. And when you give this month, we'll send you a helpful resource by highly regarded apologist and evangelist Josh McDowell and author Thomas Williams called How to Know God Exists, Solid Reasons to Believe in God, Discover Truth, and Find Meaning in Your Life. Request a copy for yourself or for a friend when you make a generous donation to Focal Point by calling 888-320-5885 or contact us online at focalpointradio.org. Well, I'm your host, Dave Drewy, inviting you back tomorrow to hear the final installment of our current message from Pastor Mike Fabares called The Challenges of Discipleship. That's coming up Thursday right here on Focal Point. Pastor Mike here. Ever wish you could corner your pastor and challenge him with your toughest questions about the Bible, about faith? Well, now you can. Send me your questions. Head on over to focalpointradio.org and click on Ask Pastor Mike. Or send me a note on facebook.com slash pastormike or twitter.com slash pastormike. I can't wait to hear from you. Today's program was produced and sponsored by Focal Point Ministries.